from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, six rounds and still no Speaker of the House. Are a handful of conservative Republicans holding the Congress hostage? I don't think so. I think they're providing America a very helpful civics lesson. We should be in here having this kind of a conversation with this many people in the room about Ukraine. And we should debate the merits. And we should debate the ups and downs of being involved. We should debate the $45 billion. We should debate whether it should be more or less. We should debate whether it should be paid for. We should debate what the result we should demand. That was Texas Congressman Jim Roy earlier today on the House floor. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill from Washington Examiner's congressional reporter Virginia Abram. We'll also talk with Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana a little bit later. And former, former Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss will join me as we discuss what may be next in the effort to seat a speaker and with it, the 118th Congress. Now, yesterday, you might recall, we had Stanford medical professor Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, and he was, he was on the program, and he mentioned the lawsuit that he is a part of against the Biden administration for colluding with big tech to censor the speech of Americans. Well, that suit is being led in part by Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Jeff Landry will join us a little bit later with the details on what they have discovered in that lawsuit. And you want a good laugh? You know, we listen to the experts, right? We uh, certainly follow uh, follow the science and listen to the experts. Uh, yeah, okay. That was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre uh, responding to a question yesterday about federal workers working from home because of COVID. Now, I'm not sure what science she's talking about. Science fiction, maybe. The Biden administration yesterday providing yet another example of how they ignore the science. The Food and Drug Administration finalized new rules yesterday that will allow for essentially over-the-counter and mail-order abortions. The new rule could turn pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens into the new abortion centers. We'll get the details from Chris Gasek, Senior Research Fellow here at the Family Research Council. Also, Dr. Ingrid Skop, an OBGYN and Senior Fellow at Charlotte Lozier Institute, will walk us through the health data that shows this decision is not based on science, at least not medical science. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. If you miss any of the program, it's all archived right there. And it's a great place to send friends who need to know what's going on. Our word for today comes from Isaiah 46, as the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, challenges the foolishness of idolatry. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? They lavish out gold and they weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship it. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and they set it in its place and it stands from its place. It shall not move. No one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. So remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Basically, it's your choice. An idol that can't speak, hear, or help, or a God who has established all things. To be a part of our Bible reading plan, you can find out more by going to frc.org slash Bible. All right, it's day two of the 118th Congress. We know that the House Republicans have an agenda to not only push an ambitious slate of pro-family legislation, but also plan to 
to pump the brakes on much of the recklessness that we've seen from the Biden administration over the past two years. But they must first select a speaker of the House. We continue to see history in the making on Capitol Hill as the process for confirming, confirming a speaker remains at a stalemate for day two. Now, the House is recessed until 8 p.m. tonight, and they'll be back. But what else has been happening on Capitol Hill? Well, joining us with the latest by phone is uh, Virginia Abrams. She is a congressional reporter for the Washington Examiner. Virginia, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so give us an update on everything that uh, kind of took place today. Any surprises? Right. So the big development today was that the 20 Republicans who are holding out against Kevin McCarthy, uh, they switched their backing to Representative Byron Donalds from Florida instead of Jim Jordan from Ohio, who they were backing yesterday. So that was the big development. As the day went on, not too much changed there. The only uh, little development in the three vote series that happened today was that Representative Victoria Sparks of Indiana changed her vote to present. Other than that, they're um, breaking for about three and a half hours of continued negotiations, and we'll see if there are any developments tonight. So what's your sense of the mood among the, uh, the GOP House members? Yeah, so they're getting pretty frustrated in certain corners, especially the more centrist members of the party. Uh, I know Dan Crenshaw has definitely voiced that frustration, as have a few others. Um, they're going – there are a few ways that this could go, um, and there are a few threats that, that they could make good on, including uh, backing a consensus candidate with the help of Democrats. That seems to be unlikely because I think even the more moderate members of the Republican uh, conference would, uh, I think that could be politically um, damaging for them back home, would it not? Oh, yeah. No, it totally could, which is why um, a lot of this is kind of a game of chicken. Mm -hmm. And we're really just going to see who can hold out the longest. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we'll continue to monitor. Virginia, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, giving us the latest from Capitol Hill. Thank you. You know, again, I, I think um, it is unprecedented. It hasn't happened in 100 years. We've gone through six rounds, still no speaker. And a lot of people are wringing their hands. Um, you know, the president today asked about it and said, oh, this is embarrassing as the world watches. I don't think so. I think... This is the way our system is supposed to work. And what we have here, and, and I'm not against I'm not against Kevin McCarthy. I've worked with Kevin. He's been on this program before. The issue here, and, and, and for the vast majority of those who are not for him, it's not about him. It's about the process. And, and it's about making this process work for the American people. It's about, as you heard earlier, that clip from Chip Roy, is that members need to come here and be able to represent their people by offering legislation and amendments on the floor. That's not happened. Joining me now to uh, discuss this more, Matt Rosendale of Montana, member of Congress. And uh, Matt, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on again, Tony. It's great to be with you. Well, I know you guys have been in a marathon session here the last two days. Something that Chip Roy brought attention to is that rarely are you all together on the House floor to have a debate and a discussion. I think this is a very healthy process. What do you think? It, it is. This is our Republican action, Tony. And, and Chip hit the nail right on the head. We've had more debate and discussion 
on the House floor over the last two uh, days than, quite frankly, than we've had over the last two years. Uh, they have eliminated regular orders since before I arrived in Congress two years ago. And so there has not been any true discussion, debate, uh, or collaboration that has taken place on the floor. And, and this is exactly what many of us were trying to restore uh, as we put together a list of amendments that needed to be placed on the rules that, that governed how the floor operates and, and brought that to Kevin last summer. And we wanted to have this discussion back then. But the uh, reality of that is that he thought he was going to have 250 or 260 members of the Republican conference and had no desire to have a conversation with uh, the people that were trying to restore order. Because what it really boils down to is the redistribution of power from the speaker and from the nine people that sit on the Rules Committee uh, to the balance of Congress so that it, that it functions the way that it's supposed to. So he wasn't interested in that. And, again, I think this is a good process. It's bringing attention to it. The leverage is with the conservatives. Again, I'm, I'm not against Kevin. I, I've worked with Kevin. It's the process that has it's, it's developed and evolved, if you will, or devolved this way over time. And, and, and it's sometimes painful to do a course correction. And, and so I commend you and your colleagues for being willing to, uh, to correct it. At the end of the day, um, again, I think you're in a, uh, the, the conservatives are, have a lot of leverage right now. So what would it take for the conservative members who have the 20 who have, been, have not voted for Kevin, what would it take for them to say, okay, we've reached the point of agreement and uh, we'll support you? Someone that we could trust to actually provide the the uh, rules that we had uh, worked so hard to get in place, and and unfortunately that person is not Kevin McCarthy. Okay, we we gave him ample opportunity over the last two years to demonstrate leadership skills. There were Republican votes that were needed to pass the NDAA. There were Republican votes that were needed to pass the infrastructure bill. There were Republican votes that were needed to pass the continuing resolution. And each one of those opportunities gave him a chance to place some common sense reforms on each one of those pieces of legislation, whether it was eliminating vaccination mandates or uh, eliminating new Green Deal provisions. And he failed miserably and ended up negotiating with Democrats to pass legislation. And Tony, this is just a, a, uh, a pattern of behavior that Kevin has had for quite some time. He has been part of a leadership team for the last 10 years now that has basically um, managed the demise of our country. He voted with the Democrats on uh, legislation to uh, pass um, budgeting and, and spending bills in 2015, 2017, 18, and 19. And, and Tony, when they passed that legislation and he was playing a leadership role to increase all of this spending, there wasn't 20 or 30 Republicans that voted against those provisions. There was like 100 to 120 uh, Republicans that voted against each one of those provisions. So that's the leadership uh, part of this equation. The other part of the equation is just going, uh, providing the ability for us to amend the rules on the right. House floor 
so that we can have single subject legislation, so that we do away with 4,000 page bills, so that we can have open rules on the floor that members are actually allowed to propose amendments as long as they're germane to the subject matter. And, and these are things that, that he always points to and says, I have, have agreed to, but he always agrees to a little peripheral uh, portion of it so that he can say, I agreed to it, but not substantively changing the way that the House is going to operate. Well, I, I agree with the, the demands or the request that the conservatives are making. I think that needs to happen in the process. So where do we go from here? Matt, you, you guys come back in at 8 o'clock tonight. W what's the way forward? There's people that are trying to have some conversations, but, but at the end of the day, uh, we have proposed, uh, I think, four or five alternatives uh, to Kevin McCarthy, and we continue to, to get votes. Um, so we're saying, you know something? Kevin's not going to get to 218. And, and at some time or another, they're going to come to that conclusion and that reality that he's not going to get to 218. And then, instead of trying to work with Democrats, to elect a speaker. Why don't they work with their Republican colleagues and let's come up with someone within our conference that we all can agree that um, should be the Speaker of the House. We're up against a break, but how long do you think this could uh, go on, That You just froze. How, your last the, question. How long do you think this could last? Oh, I, I'm not certain how long it'll last, but the, the, the government is funded and uh, no one is losing sleep, I don't think. And, and the, uh, the republic is not going to be destroyed in the next couple of days if it takes us time. I would much rather take time and get a good speaker of the house that we can trust than to hurry up and, and get someone that does a terrible job. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that uh, we have time and we should do yep. it right and to use the process that was designed to be used. Matt Rosendale, I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to see you, my friend. God bless you for all your work, Tony. I appreciate you. Thank you. And Jerry all right, folks, stick around because we're coming back with more analysis of today's events. Former Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia. Now, see. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us, and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. To Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, we're continuing our discussion of the 118th Congress that is absent a speaker. For the first time in 100 years, the House has not been able to agree on the speaker. We were just discussing this uh, with uh, Congressman Matt Rosendale. Again, I, I'm not troubled by this. All right, I know a lot of people are, you know, wringing their hands, they're uh, you know, railing against the conservatives, they're railing against Kevin McCarthy. I think this is healthy. I mean, we used to have debate in this country over issues of importance. And we should do that on cable TV, but they don't do that anymore. The left wants to shut people down. I don't think we should be a part of wanting to silence people. Now, we don't may not agree with them. I don't agree with everything that uh, comes out of Congress. In fact, there's a lot I don't agree with. But I think it's healthy to have these discussions, and I think it's healthy to use the process and not have some pre, pre, predetermined outcome when it comes to the leadership. And I've talked to a number of, of, of members who are relatively new who said, you know, there's this pecking order, and that's not right. It ought to be based upon who is getting things done and who is willing to lead effectively. And I agree. And that's what frustrates a lot of the members. They come here to represent their constituents, and they find that they can't. You know, it's been since uh, 2016 since they've been able to offer amendments to legislation on the floor. They get jammed at the last minute with thousands of pages of legislation to read, and they have no voice in the matter. Well, joining us to talk about uh, how this may work its way out is... Jody Heiss, former congressman from Georgia, now senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. He served for four terms in Congress representing the 10th Congressional District of Georgia. Jody, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. Your thoughts on uh, what we've watched today? Well, it's just as you said, this is not an hour of panic. This is the process. It worked. And we need to all sit back. I would encourage people to do two things. Number one, don't panic. This is the process. It's a debate. It may be messy, yes. It may look ugly, yes. But it is the process that we have 
to determine who the next Speaker of the House is going to be. So let that process take its course. The second thing I would encourage people to do is to pray. Uh, listen, the, there is intense pressure on our members of, of uh, Congress right now from every district in the country. Uh, they are hearing from constituents, and this is a time uh, that we need to be praying for them. They need support. They need to be able to work through this process. And so I encourage people to do both of these things. Right now, be calm. Don't panic. Just pray, and let's work through this process. We had Matt Rosendale on, former colleague years of the House Freedom Caucus, and it sounds like to me from his comments that no matter what Kevin McCarthy may offer at this point in terms of negotiations as it pertains to the rules, that he's unacceptable to some of them. Is, is there a way forward for Kevin McCarthy at this point? You know, theoretically, there there is a way. Uh, practically speaking, I see no avenue. I see no pathway for Kevin at this point. I mean, we've been through six votes. He has not picked up a single vote uh, out of six tries. Fatigue is beginning to set in. Even I'm even hearing from uh, people who have supported uh, Kevin uh, in these votes, these six votes, who are now saying enough is enough. Kevin needs to understand that he's simply not going to get there. We need to move forward. So in a real practical way, Tony, I see this uh, increasingly becoming less and less likely that Kevin McCarthy has a pathway to uh, the speakership at this point. There has been threat. There have been threats to kind of um, coalesce with Democrats to elect a, um, you know, a, a moderate left of center uh, Republican as, as speaker. Um, I mean, any Republican, I think, that would go down that path would have a it would be a political liability for them, I would think. It, it most certainly would be a political liability. And I believe these are the type of games that are played in Washington to try to create an atmosphere of fear, of intimidation, and try to coerce individuals to go ahead and vote, in this case, for Kevin, uh, when uh, just by putting out that type of language that the Democrats are going to help us elect a speaker if we're not careful. And listen, I, 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 that, that would be detrimental for a Democrat to vote for a Republican speaker, just as much as it would be for a Republican to vote for a Democratic speaker. Right. I, I just feel like those are all, it's fear-mongering, it's political tactics and gamemanship. It's not reality. At the end of the day, Kevin is or whoever is going to have to get 218 votes from the Republican side to become speaker. Uh, that's where the battleground is, and that's where a candidate is going to need to rise forth that is able to garnish that type of support. Yeah, I agreed. I, it, it's it's uh, just a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors when it comes to the, some of those tactics they say uh, could play out. So who might be, uh, we got two minutes left, who might be uh, in the conference that members would turn to as an alternative? You know, uh, Tony, I, I'm afraid that if I start listing names, immediately may, may poison the water, you know, so I'm not going to throw out names. Uh, but I will say this, there are legitimately a number of individuals who I believe could gather the support of 218 members of the uh, Republican conference. Uh, and 
it's what it's going to require is an individual who is liked, obviously, an individual who is trusted, but also an individual who will be committed to establishing, reestablishing regular order in the House of Representatives and allowing, enabling, empowering the members of Congress to do their job as is is uh, designed for them to do in representing their various districts, allowing them to provide amendments on the floor, uh, allowing them to engage the process. And any uh, individual who comes to the floor with those type of offers, I believe, is going to gather the support needed to become the next speaker. All right. Music is in my ear. means we're out of time. But I want to say this, Jody, you handled that question like a, uh, a seasoned politician. You, uh, you handled that quite well. A diplomat, I should say. A diplomat. <laughs> Jody, hi, it's you. always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Thank you. You know what? And I would have answered it the same way because I, I don't want to poison uh, the, the well for anybody. But I do think there are some candidates, and I've been talking to uh, a few of them, that may emerge over the next, uh, well, who knows? Could be 12, 24, 48 hours. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. It's good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, the ongoing Twitter files being released by Elon Musk continue to reveal federal collusion and interference with the social media giant. Now, this backdrop demonstrates why a recent lawsuit against the federal government filed by the state attorneys general of Louisiana, Missouri, as a landmark First Amendment case. 
The complaint alleges that the suppression of disfavored voices on YouTube, Meta, and Twitter platforms is equal to government action, which violates the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Now, it's worth noting that a federal judge allowed this censorship lawsuit to proceed even before the release of the Twitter files confirmed what many suspected was happening. Well, joining me now to discuss this is one of the attorneys general that is leading this suit, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be with you, Tony. Hey, but before we get into this topic, you joined uh, the program last month to discuss your new initiative to help parents report inappropriate material for children in public and school libraries. Give us an update on that. Yeah, so we have a portal. In fact, parents, we've asked parents around the state of Louisiana uh, that can go to our website. There's a banner on the top of that website at agjefflandry.com that allows them to click it and input a portal so we can get feedback <clears throat> as to what is going on inside of their public and school libraries. Because the investigation that we put forth, we found information in public libraries that we believe there are books um, that certainly are not age appropriate and are accessed uh, by, that, uh, that under which children have access to that are not age appropriate. And so we've heard from parents and they wanna know what they can do. And in the coming weeks, we're gonna be outlaying the, the the results of that investigation and actions that those parents can take inside of their own local governments to control age-appropriate, to ensure that age-appropriate books are on age-appropriate shelves in their public libraries. Well, we'll explore that more with you when you uh, complete your investigation on that. We'll, uh, we'll discuss that in greater detail. So I, I want to move to this time because yesterday I had Dr. Jay Bhattacharya on, who's actually a part of your lawsuit. Give us an update on your lawsuit against the federal government in terms of this collusion with big tech? Well, certainly we can thank the Lord for the federal judge here in Louisiana. Could you imagine if we would have taken this case and the federal judge would have dismissed it and then later the Twitter files would have been released? Um, I, you know, this is, let me sum this case up for, for everyone out there that's watching and listening. This would be as though the federal government would send someone into your studio, Tony, who would be able to tell you what you can and can't say, what you believe are going to report on information that they believe is correct or not correct. Uh, and then it could be as bad as you would interview me. And if the government said, oh, you know, Tony, the fellow that you interviewed, we believe is spreading misinformation out there, and they would make you cut that from the show. That's what's going on in a, in a much grander scale. The government in this lawsuit we have found was actively involved in suppressing the speech of Americans through social platforms, whether it be at the COVID during the COVID-19 crises during the pandemic or the Hunter laptop, Hunter Biden laptop issue or Russia gate. We've even found evidence that they interfered, what is say interfered, but they certainly were censoring information during the election. Now, this is something that you normally would see happen in a communist or totalitarian type state. This is exactly the kind of conduct that the First Amendment was, it was, was put in place into our Bill of Rights to prevent. If we don't have a democracy under which Americans are free to exercise their speech, free to discuss their ideas in the marketplace of ideas, then, then we're no better off than in a communist country. We are no longer citizens 
We're really subjects to the government. Now, uh, Jeff, this is not political um, suspicion or you're not just making these claims. You actually went through the discovery process. They had to produce records and information. You deposed uh, individuals like Fauci. So you have facts. You have evidence here. What was the most, you mentioned the Hunter Biden laptop. What was the most surprising information that you discovered that you can share with us? Well, I can tell you, uh, probably the the deposition of a a gentleman by the name of Elvis Chan, who worked for the FBI, um, has really highlighted uh, the, the connection between the FBI and these social platforms in censoring information. We know, we do know from the discovery that we've got and the depositions from Dr. Fauci, that when Dr. Fauci spoke, Americans were censored. We know that. Um, we, we had eight hours of deposition or seven hours of deposition with Dr. Fauci, of which he couldn't recall a lot, but we have the documents that we know the things that he did and the things that he didn't. We even found out that Dr. Fauci had a daughter that was working at Twitter. I mean, imagine that. During the time that he was out there censoring uh Americans' information during the COVID-19 pandemic, his own daughter was working for Twitter. But again, I think that the deposition of Elvis Chan is the most damning. But what it did was it inside of that deposition, we discovered that the FBI actively had a secret backdoor portal under which they would communicate with Twitter staffers, with Twitter employees, basically telling them, who to censor, what information they believe was misinformation and disinformation, and who was allowed to post things on social platforms like Twitter. And we believe we believe it existed at, at, the, at Facebook and the other platforms right. as well. Because remember, remember Mark Zuckerberg also went on the Joe Rogan show right. and said actively that the FBI was communicating was with on. them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Attorney General, we're up against the break. I could continue this conversation, but we're going to have to do it another day. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right. Jeff Landry, Attorney General of Louisiana. Stick around. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. 
Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration confirmed a rule change that allows pharmacies to sell chemical abortion pills directly to pregnant women who have prescriptions, potentially turning your local CVS or Walgreens into an abortion facility. Well, given the well-documented risk these experimental pills pose to women's health, why would the FDA approve such a measure? Is this following the science? You know, as the Family Research Council has documented, there has been an effort dating back to the Clinton administration in the 90s to manipulate the FDA approval process for these drugs. And now the Biden administration's FDA has pushed the envelope even further. Joining me now to discuss this is Chris Gazik, Senior Research Fellow here at the Family Research Council. Chris, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you, Tony. So the history of manipulating the FDA approval process for these drugs dates back to the 1990s. Tell us about this. Well, the second day that the uh, second full day of the Clinton administration, uh, President Clinton signed an executive order that essentially um, called for the the creation of an operation warp speed for uh, for abortion for chemical abortion drugs, and so they spent the next 80 months. Uh, working to approve uh, an abortion drug, and uh, that's what they did. By se- in September of uh, of 2000, just a little bit before the end of the administration and the, and the 2000 election, uh, they they approved uh, RU46, which is what it was sort of referred to then, or Mifepristone or Mifeprex, uh, to be sold as an abortion as an abortifacient. Now we have this, um, according to the latest data. Over half of all abortions last year were chemical abortions accomplished through these drugs. So walk us through what the FDA announcement yesterday will actually do. Well, I I think essentially what you have to know is that over time, the FDA and the, the abortion industry has been on a path to liberalize and um, reduce the restrictions 
or the, the safe, safeguards and the safety uh, uh, provisions that were in place to protect the health and safety of women who were taking this drug. And so there's been a, a, a sort of a, a slow uh, um, elimination of those, those, uh, those provisions, essentially to get other, um, you know, uh, a, 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 there has to be a, in the, in the old days, there had to be a, a kind of a way of um, another provider or a, a person had to sort of see the patient. Um, and what they've wanted to do all along is move toward a system where uh, it, it's almost like it's going to be over the counter or just a prescription where you still have a, a person, you know, that, that you're in touch with, but they want to make it easier and easier and easier. And that's so sort of the trend line. But this could be telemed. I mean, you could just have a, sure. a consultation over the phone. You get a prescription emailed to you. You go to the the pharmacy. You go to CVS. You go to Walgreens. Uh, they become the abortion facility. You go home and you you take the drug. Uh, and, and you can also get them by mail. So I mean, this is essentially abortions by mail as well. Is it not? Right. And one of the things about the uh, uh, the pharmacies is that they're going to have to go through a sort of a certification process. But it, it, all, all, you know, all along, this is a way to get uh, less capable people in charge of dispensing the drug and, and interacting with the person who wants the abortion. Now, I'm going to talk about the health implications of this in just a moment with Dr. Uh, Ingrid Skop, uh, who has studied this issue. But So I, I don't want to get into that just yet. But this would essentially, if I'm looking at this correctly, this could turn CVS... Uh, Walgreens, I mean, we don't know what they're going to do, but if they go down this path, they become the abortion facilities of America. Oh, exactly. So that's that's essentially what they want. They wanted to get out of uh, a restricted set of abortion providers to widen the scope, to make it more available, and they're hoping, uh, the abortion industry and probably the FBA, um, they're hoping that um, these people, these, these drug stores, and pharmacies will take them up on this offer to become uh, the dispensers of the drug. And that would make them essentially, you know, abortionists. So, so what happens to those pharmacists that work for these big conglomerates that have conscience issues? Uh, you know, we, we've worked legislatively, but we've seen it wiped away by this administration when it comes to the conscience protections of health care providers, including pharmacists. I think it's going to be a big problem because we've seen with Plan B um, and, and probably, uh, I mean, drugs in other contexts, um, that if you have a, a conscientious objection to a drug, uh, not only will your um, your company sometimes, you know, the, 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 the Walgreens or the Steve, maybe not, I, I don't use brand names, but, you know, the, the sort of the big firms, um, they might not recognize your uh, your your rights. Right. But then you're going to have, if you're in a state like Washington or, you know, some of these very liberal states, your, uh, you know, your pharmacy board and people like this are going to put pressure on, on you uh, to to dispense these drugs. So they're they're in a, in a bind because uh, until now, uh, abortion drugs were not available uh, through sort of the mass market uh, pharmacies. And so now all of these companies are going to have to sort of figure out what they want to do. All right. Uh, final question for you, Chris Gasick. The, the, the process by which the FDA promulgated this new path, um, is this the way it's supposed to work? It's, it's the way it's always worked with, with RE46. I mean, the FDA is very, as we found out with, with the vaccines and 
um, you know, and we find out more about that. It's it's a very closed system, so it's not open to public comment. It's not open to public inspection, or, or you know, and and in the case of RU46, they they didn't really allow it even in the you know the 1990s. So it, it's never. Uh, it, they want it this way. They, they don't want people to know what the process is, and they've been very secretive about what they've been doing. Is it politicized? Um, I think it's been politicized from the word go. All right. In Chris Gasek? You know, 1992. Yeah, well, and uh, we're seeing more of that. Chris Gasek, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your insight. You're welcome. Well, we talked earlier about how the administration, or we played their claim that they want to follow the science. We hear that all the time. Follow the science. We follow the science. Follow the science. We follow the science. But do they really follow the science? I mean, we're finding more and more that they didn't follow the science when it came to COVID, at least not the medical science, maybe the political science. Well, the FDA rule change to allow pharmacies to distribute these pills is just one avenue that they're pursuing. Uh, Just yesterday, the Department of Justice declared that the U.S. Postal Service can continue to deliver chemical abortion pills by mail. So this is there's a multi prongs, many prongs going out here. And this is, of course, by ignoring the documented harms these drugs can cause for women. The Biden administration is putting its political agenda ahead of the health of women. Join me now to discuss this. Dr. Ingrid Scott, senior fellow and director of medical affairs for Charlotte Lozier Institute, Dr. Scott, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thank you for having me, Tony. And then, by the way, Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. It's going to be a good one. I think it is. It is. Every year is good. Some are better than others. The, the, the Biden administration pushing harmful drug treatments at the expense of women. Can you explain to the viewers and listeners the dangers of these abortion pills? Sure. Um, You know, as Chris said, uh, the FDA has just progressively taken away any supervision on um, chemical abortions. And um, even when it was well supervised, even when women had to get it in person from a physician, we know that approximately one out of 20 of those women would fail and need surgery, often in emergent situations. Um, We know that the complications are four times as frequent with a chemical abortion as they are with a surgical abortion. Um, as a practicing OB-GYN in Texas for 30 years, I've cared for many women who've come into the emergency room frightened and in distress because of these pills, and they weren't expecting that. Since the supervision has been removed, though, it's getting even worse. It's it's being basically taken out of the doctor's hands, and these, these, these abortions are in the women's hands. They are self-managing their own abortions, which the industry used to tell us was a bad thing, but now they tell us it's it's just fine. Um, when they get the abortion pills without an examination from a doctor, without an ultrasound, without laboratory evaluation, um, and even without looking the doctor in the eye so that the doctor can be sure this woman wants the abortion, it's not someone else who's pressuring her, all of those things have gone. So what we have now is women who estimate their gestational age, and maybe they're wrong. And if they're further along than they think, then it's highly likely that all the tissue cannot be expressed and they're more likely to need a surgery or have an emergency. Um, we, uh, we can't tell who has an, an ectopic pregnancy, a pregnancy in the fallopian tube. When those women start to have pain and bleeding signals that their tube is rupturing, they are more likely 
actually to die if they're undergoing an abortion because they may think this is the abortion pill working. Um, we're no longer caring about RH negativity. Uh, we're no longer um, offering women Rogam when it's without side of the supervision of the medical system. And so in a few years, we're gonna see women in um, subsequent pregnancies uh, forming immune responses to their own children. And of course, we just have no way of knowing how much coercion is going to occur when sex traffickers, incestuous abusers, coercive boyfriends can all get a hold of these pills. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, uh, distributing through the pharmacy is going to add a whole another level of um, violation of conscience of Hippocratic pharmacists. Um, and of course, the ultimate goal would be to get it over the counter. But in the meantime, there also is a secondary goal to get doctors who are not abortion providers. Um, only approximately 10% of OBGYNs will perform an abortion. But now there's also um, a push to get doctors like me to be forced to prescribe these medications. Yeah, let, let me be, uh, I want to be clear on this, Dr. Scott. According to these rules, if I understand it right, as I've read this, that there, this can be, this drug can be prescribed with no personal interaction. That you that do is, not that have is to have. That is the case. You do not the have FDA to. FDA has removed all. Again, they used the COVID pandemic as an excuse for so much malfeasance. And in this case, they said it's too dangerous for a healthy woman to walk into a clinic. And so they've taken away that face-to-face -face interaction with a clinician, and that is permanently gone. So as you, I, I want to underscore what you're talking about. When we look at the problem of sex trafficking in this country and what is happening, that this would be very easy to, you know, have that uh, telephonic conversation or whatever the interaction is there. D does the does the woman have to pick up the prescription or can someone pick it up for them? It's not clear what the um, story on the other end at the pharmacy level is, but from what I've read um, with the new labeling, I do not think that there is any requirement um, that it be that patient. Um, so uh, of course we can recognize that this is gonna be extremely problematic. Now these health implications, you've actually tracked this and the reporting on this has not been good, and so getting the data is very difficult. But again, as I, I read the rule, there's a requirement that the provider be able to provide emergency uh, health uh, care if something occurs, um, as you said, the bleeding or uh, some issue. So how's that work when they're not interacting with any health care provider? How, how do they do the follow-up and provide emergency care? That requirement, Tony, is on paper only. The reality is these women are not, they're, they're sort of um, uh, edged into the chemical abortion, thinking that it's a very natural, safe process. They are very surprised when they have these frequent complications. Um, and they end up in the emergency room system um, being cared for by private gynecologists. Um, part of the um, uh, perversion of the peer-reviewed literature that has allowed the FDA to make these changes is that um, the abortion industry publishes studies that are very poor quality, and they know that the um, loss to follow-up rates are 15, 20% uniformly 
and they just go ahead and assume that if a woman doesn't return to the clinic um, that she had an uneventful abortion. And as the person who sees them in the emergency room, I would argue those are the ones most likely to have had complications. They don't want to go back to that abortion provider who misled them and made them think that they could not have a complication. Um, it's very difficult to report abortion complications, um, but a recent analysis of FDA um, FOIA obtained um, uh, documents demonstrated that less than 5% of the reported complications had been reported to the FDA. And this is back prior to 2016 when they actually used to care and used to mandate uh, complication reporting. Let me make sure I heard you right. Only less than 5% of the complications have been reported. That's that's what we believe based on what we know to be the complication rate and what we've seen um, the FDA uh, give to in, re, in so, response. So how to could, uh, we're, we're out of time here, uh, Dr. Scott, but how could the administration make a science-based decision when they don't even have the information? The, the science um, is lost. I think we've seen that in the, in the uh, wake of COVID and the same thing regarding abortion. You cannot trust what you read in the peer-reviewed literature. It's been totally politicized. Politicized. You're absolutely right. Dr. Ingrid Skop, thank you so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your uh, insight into these uh, important matters. Thank you so much, Tony. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Our goal to keep you informed on what's happening in our nation's capital with policies, um, whether it be from the Congress or whether it be from the White House or state houses across the country, also gives you a lot to pray about. Continue to pray for the House as they wrestle through this process of selecting the Speaker. They come back at 8 p.m. tonight. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.